Check, check. I'm checking, I'm checking, I'm checking, I'm checking it, Derek. I'm checking, I'm checking, I'm checking it, Derek. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode right on time of the Retro Time Podcast. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Derek. And we did it. We did do it. What did we do? We showed up. Oh, we showed up. <laughs> well, that's what recurring meetings are for, Derek. That's why they're mm. so nice. Put them in that your calendar it. and you never have to forget them. Well, I'm happy to so be Derek, here, Jeremy. It is uh, January 13th as of recording. You know what that means. What? We are a week in to king cake season. Ooh. You know what sucks, though? What sucks? We don't live anywhere near a place that makes king cake. God. <laughs> well, hey, Obuskin does, but they don't make them until like well into king cake season, mostly, I'm sure, because nobody would buy them around here. Yeah. <laughs> so they well, wait until a week before Mardi Gras. They're not, they're not bad, actually, but, uh, you know, they're no, uh, they're no Dong Fong king cake, mm. unfortunately. But, you know, you can't really hold that against them. I wouldn't. I wouldn't hold anything against them. I looked into getting a Dong Fong king cake, Derek. Do you know how much it costs to get a Dong Fong king cake shipped to Cincinnati? <laughs> I'm going to brace myself. How much? $70 for Jeez a king Louise. cake. It's, uh, you know, it's it's funny because the website, they do Gold Belly, which is a national company. I don't know if anybody ever, you know, not not sponsored, uh, but uh, Gold Belly, if you're listening, you want to sponsor the show, give us, give us a holler. They, uh, they do, you know, local restaurants that you can get shipped anywhere in the country. So, you know, if you're in New Orleans, you want some Skyline, <laughs> you can get some of that shipped. But you can get uh, pretty much anything shipped all over the country. It's pretty cool. Uh, Dong Fong uses Gold Belly to uh, ship their king cakes. And it's funny because it's like $70 free shipping. <laughs> I'm like, that king cake is 25 bucks <laughs> from the store. <laughs> that is, uh, if that's free shipping, you know, you're full of baloney there, Gold you Belly. Criminal. But criminal. Anyway. Yeah, so uh, you know, seventy bucks to get a king cake shipped. I, I'm kind of doing. I think I want to do it just because I, I might just do it once this year. Normally, when we if we were in New Orleans, I'd I'd probably be like eight Dongfang king cakes in already. But uh, you know, it is what it is. I made my bed. I'll lie in it, Derek. Lie in it, king cakeless. <laughs> yeah, we uh, <laughs> we bought one last year, and I remember telling you about it, and we saved you. We froze a piece for you for me. We, we did. did. I don't remember yeah. this. How do I and not remember? I'm sorry. About, about seven months went by, and I saw it oh, in there, dude. and I was like, I was like, Gavin, you think you'd remember? <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> but we so did you save it. you some. Let me ask you, where was it from, though? It was from the Fongs, baby. Oh, you oh, you, oh, you didn't save me a Dong Fong. Damn I did there. save you a Dong Fong. I just well, forgot you, you, I saved you, you a Dong And then fong. you ate it, but that's okay. I don't yeah, I, I would have yeah. done the same thing. Yeah, I looked at it. I said, you'll never know. <laughs> and here I am telling you about it. Yeah, kind thanks, of, kind thanks. Of, now I know. Well, now kind I know. of blew now it. Now I'm upset. Now kind I'm of blew upset. it. Well, here's the oh, thing. Well. Here's yep, the thing. Tell me. There's always next time. <laughs> That's true. Well, we can still get a king cake for another couple weeks. I think, uh, I don't know where uh, Mardi Gras is this year. I think Easter's early this year. So I think Mardi Gras is relatively early. Yeah. So we might well, not now, have that much time. Well, the good thing is now I feel guilty. So I might actually go and get oh, one. Oh, good. Yeah, well, yeah, 70 bucks. <laughs> I was telling my all my coworkers about it, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna order one of these for the team." And then I went and looked, and it was seventy bucks. <laughs> I was like, "You know what? I like you guys, but uh, you know, I don't know that I'm buying um, myself and the team a seventy dollar king cake. I think I might just skip it. Yeah, Although I might post on Slack or something, see if anybody wants to put in some money, and we can order one and, and pull our money and, and order one. I might do that. I'm sure you nice know thing. a few people might throw in five bucks. Yeah, that'd be a nice thing to do. It might be the only thing I miss about New Orleans, Derek. <laughs> the fried shrimp, fried catfish, and the king cake. Uh, snowballs and beignets. And, you know, sometimes the people. Depends on who you are. <laughs> and the music. I miss the music. That's a, that's a lot of things, isn't it? But, you know. <laughs> he just listed a lot of things. But uh, mostly the king cake. <laughs> mostly the king cake. <laughs> anyway. That's funny, man. All right. What do you want to talk about today, Derek? What we got? Today, I wanted to talk about something a little, uh, little close to my heart, something I've dealt with many times. It's going to be hard for me to kind of walk through it unless I do something I know you love. Let me take a little analogy. Oh, analogy. I love I love it, Derek. All right, not up. only analogy, a Star Trek analogy. Oh, double whammy. All right. So it's less of an analogy, more of a little story. Let me let me just let me just analogy, lay it on the line for you. you. So, uh, Jeremy, are you familiar with the Dyson sphere? I am. Who in his late ages was stranded on a Dyson sphere? Do you happen um, to know? Which I didn't, it was this Star, Star Trek, Trek I don't even... engineer was trapped on a Dyson sphere? 
I don't know. I know. Oh, I'm gonna I tell know you. Dyson Sphere is from outside of Star Trek. Like, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. Anyway, okay. You want to so explain is... what Dyson Sphere is for anybody? Yeah. So Dyson world? Sphere okay. is it's it, think of it like a bunch of solar panels wrapped around a sun to uh, to pull in energy, and then you mm-hmm. you can build a, a civilization inside of it, which is powered by the sun. It's it's an amazing mm-hmm. idea. Right. Yeah. Some guy so named Dyson essentially, uh, came up a, with it. a structure built around a star to capture all of the energy from that star. Yes. And not let any of the light released. So the reason I know about it is just from like, just from science journals or not, I don't read journals, but articles written about science journals <laughs> science that journals. think they could find an alien civilization if they have a Dyson sphere and it blocks the sun or blocks their star. Uh. Uh, they they know that that's clearly an advanced civilization because it takes a lot of effort to build something like that. Anyway, all right. I didn't know that right. was a Star Trek thing. Go ahead. So check this story. out. Check this out. <laughs> Go ahead. So Star Trek Enterprise, Captain Picard. All right. We got Geordi LaForge. We got Worf. They're riding along one day and they get a notification of Ding. A, a Federation vessel who which crashed into a Dyson sphere. Wow. Okay. No signs of life. Episode. No signs okay. of life on this on this th- on this vessel. Okay. This is TNG. So, this is a TNG, TNG baby. Episode? TNG okay. next generation. I don't know that I've all right. Seen this one. I, I highly recommend one. you see this one. Okay. You may want you may want to hold your ears because I'm about to spoil the shit out of it. <laughs> all right, here we go. Um, Star Trek: The Next Generation. I feel like uh, you know, statute of like limitations on spoiling. Yeah, it's <laughs> kind of a, kind of over. Okay. So they go down to the down to the ship and mm-hmm. all the life. You know. Uh, life supports off and everything but they notice there's still one system running and it's the transporter and mm. in the pattern buffer is none other than montgomery scott scotty, scotty. oh watch out so, so wait, did he he transported himself into yes the, the pattern the... buffer to stay alive? To stay alive. To, to keep himself okay. alive. So he's been there for like, I don't know how many years. Now that you but think, the, I think I have seen this episode. But the, So the pattern started to degrade uh, mm-hmm. for as, as himself, but also for his friend, who he also uh, who was working with, and he shoved him into the pattern buffer too. And when they tried to take him out, his friend didn't make it. Basically, his pattern couldn't be reconstructed because it had disintegrated over the years. But... Montgomery Scott, he was back. Mm-hmm. So he goes on the Enterprise and he tries to take a job. He's working with Jordi LaForge. Sure. Okay. At some point in the show, I'm actually not spoiling anything because it's just one little part, but it's <laughs> the most important part of the show to me. At one point, Jordi, he's annoyed by Montgomery Scott because he's like, he's like a, uh, like if we were working with a programmer from like 1970 mm-hmm. trying to tell us how to write web, you know, web pages or something, he'd be like, mm-hmm. bro. I understand you want to know how the electrons work here, but you don't need to worry about that. We got it under control. We're all like, so, okay, boomer. That's what we'd be saying. Yeah, it was a, it was a real okay, boomer. So, so Jordi LaForge is like the young, hot, you know, uh, of course, he never had a girlfriend, but young, well, I don't know what he was. Like, it was a lieutenant or whatever, um, but he was, he was a high-ranking yeah. lieutenant commander, Jordi yeah. LaForge. Also reading Rainbow. Um, reading Rainbow. So he was working in the you know engineering area by the you know big warp nacelles or the warp whatever and Scotty's there giving him advice and eventually they start to become kind of friendly with one another uh, because Scotty had written the book for the Enterprise he knew that you could kind of take it a little bit further and push the engines a little harder and that really impressed Jordy LaForge because he was like those are beyond parameters he's like I wrote it boy you know, Giving it all she's got, Captain. Giving it all she's got. You can take it a little faster. Trust me, I wrote the book. <laughs> so at some point, uh, he goes, uh, you know, Captain Picard asks him, so, okay, we need we need the, you know, the engineering manifolds fixed. And, and, and Jordy LaForge is like, how long is that going to take? And, and he goes, uh, Jordy says, ah, about, about an hour. And then Montgomery <laughs> Scott, you know, Scotty says, uh, Jordy, how, how long is it really going to take? And Jordy says, an hour. He's like, oh, Jordy, <laughs> the first thing you have to learn about being an engineer is that you have to tell them it's going to take a long time. How else are they going to think you're a miracle worker? <laughs> All right. I love it. So that story. Perfect advice. <laughs> takes me to my, mm-hmm. it was a long way to get to this point, but it takes me to my point uh-huh. that there are 
lot of ways to approach problem. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. And many times we celebrate the people who fix things. That's just True. who we celebrate. Think about emails you've gotten from your leadership. People who, ah, uh, thank you so much. If it wasn't for you, we wouldn't have gotten through that horrible outage. We wouldn't mm-hmm. have gotten through that terrible late night yep. session where the system went down or where the system was slow. And mm-hmm. these miracle workers, these heroes get celebrated. Yep. But what's really hard is to celebrate the people <laughs> who've prevented things from happening <laughs> where you don't send an email out to say, hey, you know, we... uh we didn't have any outages this year, and um, yeah, or you may get you may get someone in, in your retirement speech say, yeah, you know, and that you know, we never had a single outage the whole time. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, right. it's ex- it becomes expected. Good things. Mm-hmm. So I think the way it works is, and I'm going to talk to you about this. Good mm-hmm. things become expected if they are consistently occurring. Something good happens, you start to expect it. It becomes yeah, it, it becomes the norm. If yeah. good is always the norm, then the norm is not, it becomes the average. The, so good, if good is the norm, that actually should be the norm. Good should not be seen as exceptional yeah, because normal, it is not normal exceptional. should be seen as the norm. Yeah, right, right. And so in, in organizations where things are flowing and there's not a lot of celebration for or for the system just running normally. Mm-hmm. A lot of times what you'll probably notice is that those teams have the ability to advance themselves and mutate themselves in ways that think that normal behavior is unbelievably, you know, exceptional. They can't do because they're kind of stuck and they're stuck below the norm, you know, sort of kind of that kind of thing. There could be reasons for that. Over the years, they've been, you know, potentially uh, conditioned to think that we can't or we, we, we're not capable of or that's only what Google does that or that's only what this company does. We're not that type of team. So we have to kind of do it our way. Curious what your thoughts are on this. Yeah, it was just I don't know why I was thinking of just like politicians in this case. The fir- Well, the first thing that I when you when you're talking about the Scotty Jordy thing. That that's classic freelancer move right there though, dude. That's oh, I love that. under promise over deliver. Yeah. That's, that's when you tell a client this thing's gonna take me two months and it takes you a week to do, and then you tell them it's done a month in. You finished it three weeks ago, but to them you finished a month early. <laughs> Indeed. And then you charge them for the two months. That's that's classic under promise over deliver. And it's it's very true. I mean, that's you know, how how else do you look like you're amazed? If you tell them it's gonna take you a week and you do it in a week, then, okay, you said it would take you a week. You, you said, you know, it would take you two months. You did it in a month. There's nothing uh, exceptional wow, about that. Oh, that's, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. So that's just sort of classic, uh, you know, under-promise, over-deliver. That's like adding a buffer. I think anybody out there who's thinking about making estimates for work, add a buffer. <laughs> you know, in Jordy's case, he didn't add a buffer. And what would happen if it took him an hour and a half? He would have looked like a giant ass. <laughs> yeah. Right? Even though looked, that's, yeah. yeah. Potentially, Even whatever like incredible. he did, you know, anybody else, it may have may have taken them ten weeks. Uh, but if you know, he said it took him an hour, it took him an hour and a half. That would have been bad. So you know, that that's just the first thing I thought. Of. The other thing I thought of is, you know, politicians. No politician has ever been celebrated for preventing something from happening. They come in and they fix it, and then mm. they're seen as you know amazing. They fixed it, just like you're kind of talking about the, the fixer, if you will. But nobody celebrates the person who who just keeps the lights on and keeps everything under control and doesn't allow a crazy thing to happen. Yeah. Right? Now, not to say never. This I'm sure some people have. I'm sure somebody out there could find examples of where this was the case. But generally speaking, though, you know, you don't get recognition for for saving the world from something if nobody realized that thing could have happened. Mm-hmm. So that that's sort of the, the interesting, it's like a paradox here, if you will. I, I, I read a book or I read an article or something about this forever ago. And I, when you said you had this topic idea for today, I tried to look it up and I couldn't find it. I don't know where I saw this thing. But it was sort of this, this incentive. It's a psychological thing. There's an incentive to let shit hit the fan so you can fix it. So you're seen as the hero versus never letting the shit hit the fan and not getting any recognition for it. 
politicians yeah. are maybe a little a bad example because because they're already in the spotlight. But it's those sort of like lowly frontline workers that you just never never get any recognition anyway. You know, people people love a big story. People like action and a thriller and everything else. So yeah, I, I don't know. It's just sort of one of those things. You know, what do what do you do there? Do you fly under the radar? Keep the stuff from happening? Nobody ever knows. Oh, uh, or yeah. do you? You know, I, I'm thinking that you you mentioned firefighter. I'm thinking mm-hmm. of an analogy here. You know, firefighters, and not to, not to diminish the work of firefighters because they certainly do have a hard job. But imagine, you know, you have a scenario where there's a house fire. And the firemen come in. They save your kids, your dog, everything. They, you know, whatever they do, they they save everything, and they're and they're they're the hero. But down the street, there's an electrician who installed uh, the wiring correctly so that there would never be a spark to start a fire. Nobody knows who that electrician is, <laughs> right? But the firemen are seen as heroes and stuff. And not to say they're not heroes, obviously. But you you get the point. Like but the they electrician never gets yeah exactly. But the yeah. electrician never gets any notoriety. You know, mm-hmm. they don't get discounts at Starbucks. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's you know? really interesting to um, say that, yeah. So anyway, I, I don't know. Again, not to diminish the work of a fireman because it's certainly, you know, a dangerous job. But the electrician never gets any any notoriety for for making sure the fire doesn't happen in the first place. Well, it's it's tough because the fire never happened, but the fire mm-hmm. still may happen. Right. So for another how reason, do you perhaps, yeah. prove how do you prove that you prevented disaster? There's a something that happened in the 90s, you may remember that uh, was like one of the biggest terrifying things we've ever experienced. It scared the crap out of me when I was a kid. Little thing called the ozone layer. Do you remember when the ozone layer was going to open up and suck up all, I don't know, hell was going to happen. It was terrifying. (laughs) I think Um, it was supposed to let in the uh, UV rays that were going to fry everything, yeah. Yeah, it was going to like cause massive problems. Do you remember the man that fixed it? No. Of course you don't. Do you? No, you don't because... It was fixed through a series of boring policy changes, mm. slight modifications of requirements for a variety of different substances and tools. Mm. So I can't wow you with how we fix the ozone layer. So I'm not going to tell you the story because <laughs> over uh, because if I'm a politician or if I'm somebody of note and I'm going to a dinner party with someone else, the things I'm going to share with you are the things you're going to tell your constituents or your people that are really going to wow them. And I think mm-hmm. you made a good point about these, like, these, these headline-type things. Now, well, here's something interesting. You know about the ozone layer because there was a hole in the ozone layer. But let's say a scientist came to whatever UN body there was in the 70s, let's say 20 years for the ozone layer opened mm-hmm. up, and said, we know that there's going to be a problem 20 years from now. If you continue to create aerosols with these CFCs and you do all these other things, you are going to put a hole in the ozone layer. Now, let's go back in time and assume that the governing body listened to those scientists and decided to pass the laws to block that. And there was never a hole in the ozone layer in the 90s. Would you even know what the ozone layer was? I wouldn't. I you barely know wouldn't. what it is now, to be honest. With you. Yeah, exactly. But, um, so that's even uh, less of a story. So in that case, somebody did actually. There was an emergency and fixed it. But even taking a step back, <laughs> and those those scientists that were probably yelling and screaming about this thirty years ago were probably you know laughed out of the room. Now maybe twenty thirty years later, there you can look back on that and say, yeah, you know, you oh well, whatever. Um, but you, it's like one of those things where you, you can, a lot of times people aren't forced to take action until something is already bad. Jeremy, you know, Jeremy, I have, I have, I have thought probably a cognitive bias there. I'm sure. Anyway, go ahead. Check this out. The less attention something receives, the better it is managed. If something mm, doesn't yeah. receive a lot of attention, it's probably managed really well mm-hmm. because it requires so little attention. Yes. And it's probable that it was designed or decisions were made early on that made it easy to mm-hmm. enable this th- system or technology or concept or whatever, science change or whatever. Science change. I'm not in the industry. <laughs> it's very scientific. Um, uh, so you know those changes to uh, to be to come into play, and I think it's even harder. It's even harder for when you, we we talked about celebrating the mundane. That's essentially what we're saying. Like celebrating the mundane, normal 
activities of your life. And I think that if you look at the things in your life that work, they're the things you never talk about because you don't need to because they just work. But it's when they stop normal working, in the background, it's just average. Yeah. When they stop working, the things that it, which I find interesting to me is that we don't celebrate the fact that we have most of the time power coming to our house. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the infrastructure and the maintenance that's required to get power into our house, it's expected that it will be always be on. But the impact when it goes out is like severe. I mean, my kids can't watch their shows on their iPad. It's severe. All right. Um, So, you know, it's like, or the heater goes out and it's freezing outside, whatever, you know. And so I guess to look at a system whose impact when it stops working is critical or severe and it's a boring system, that's probably one that's also designed well and and maintained well. But it's not it's not what you would initially think. You'd think like. Like the thing with the whiz bangy features, like that's the one that's cool. That's the one that's designed well. No, that's probably the one that's shit. Yep. That's probably the one that's like they didn't even think about what happens when it fails. I wanna I wanna quickly point out my LG dishwasher, Derek. <laughs> that's the, <laughs> uh, the perfect example of uh, whatever you're talking about in action, you know. And keep it boring may be mm-hmm. a nice little sticker. You can keep it boring. That's it. Um, because boring. the more the, the honestly, like if you look at the things you build. You know, I, you know, I heard this once before. Do you know when a service is something that will have mass appeal and many people will start using it? It's when your parents create an account. Is that right? It's essentially when it becomes boring. So, yes. <laughs> yes. So, like, it becomes a utility mm-hmm. when it becomes boring. And I think that, you know, a lot of the things we use are passing fads. But a lot of the things we use are, you know, we we see them as, like, they're, they're brand new utilities, a lot of things that we're using today. The Zoom, for example, like video conferencing is a utility now. Sure. Yeah. I guess 30 years ago, the fact you could see somebody <laughs> while you talk to them, it's like yes. an amazing. Yeah. Right. And now it's just, well, turn your camera. Like you get mad when people don't turn their camera, you know, you're just expecting to have their camera on. Or, or, or you, you expect the video to go through correctly. Mm-hmm. And you expect not only the video to go through correctly, but you expect the audio to catch up even if the internet drops. This is stuff we expect now. These are utilitarian problems now. Problems like this, it's interesting because it's not that some, someone once said that the future is here. It's just not evenly distributed. And mm, the, the future being these, I think the future isn't, the cool stuff is here for you. It's just not evenly distributed. I think it's that commonly usable new utilities that are available to people with, you know, certain income brackets in certain locations are not available to, for example, people in like sub-Saharan Africa or something or in like areas of Ukraine right now or, mm-hmm. or whatever. It's crazy to me that that inverse concept that boring means something is actually probably right is the way it really is, you know? Ah, it's interesting. And that we celebrate the opposite. <laughs> we yeah. celebrate when something is like a splashy or exciting or, or getting attention. You should never know the name of the service that I work on because it should never fail. There's a reason right. it has it a stupid acronym. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's funny because I, I think like the problem here, though, is like, what is the moral of the story? Is the moral of the story to let everything go to shit so that you can be the hero to fix it? <laughs> or is the moral of the story to, to just suck it up, realize that as as people building software, we're, we're likely going to be in the shadows <laughs> and not get a lot of notoriety, especially if, you know, we're talking about enterprise software, something that's really boring. It's not sexy. It's not Fang. It's not one of like Google or Facebook or Twitter or Meta or whatever, you know. Um, I guess you have to decide who, who you want to be, <laughs> you know, do you want to be that person out in the front or do you, do you, are you okay being in the background? Well, you could also look at it as who you're, you incentivized to be. If you're in a situation where you are incentivized to shine, to separate yourself, to create your own brand, you know, all this stuff they tell you in the corporate America, that is you competing with someone else to shine. That means that you are probably better off in that incentivized system to cheat, 
to lie and to look like you are a hero. But yeah. what's better for the systems that you work on and the and the group as a whole? It's almost like a it's honestly almost like a communist versus capitalist kind of thing. It's really like a are am I in it for myself or am I in it for everyone kind yeah. of thing. It's much much it's like a deep conversation at that point, but it's like yeah, I mean, here's the thing, like I would say, I mean, letting everything blow up so you can fix it, I think is is somewhat unethical. But I don't think there's a problem with the under-promising, over-delivering thing. I think, you know, especially if you've worked your ass off for 20 or 30 years and you can do something faster than somebody else. I mean, you earned it. You earned not having to rush. I mean, if, if, if it takes Jordy LaForge an hour to do something that normally would take someone a day... There's nothing wrong with saying it'll take him 12 hours. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's still faster than the the person take a day and he still isn't stressing himself out. Now, if, if the enterprise is about to explode or something in that hour really made a difference, then sure, that's different. But, you know, I think normally we're not working under such stressful circumstances. <laughs> and I think us giving ourselves a buffer to take a mental break, you know, take some time for ourselves, keep keep an eye on our own mental health. And not rushing just because you're faster than everybody else and doing it faster than everybody else, I think, is is perfectly fine to underpromise and overdeliver. I think that's the moral of the story for me. <laughs> I, I kind of disagree, but I also kind of understand where you're coming from. I think that because we work with human beings and we don't work with uh, our essential like collaboration is not with machines. It's with human beings. Um, we, we talk about this a lot that like it's all comes down to relationships. Mm-hmm. And human beings are easily influenced, mm-hmm. and they're much more likely to accept a scenario where you, uh, where you are, where, where I hired a hero rather than a average person. Because mm-hmm. even imagine a situation where they have no one to compare you against, and you just keep telling them it takes an hour. It takes an hour. I used to, I, 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 this is a weird, this is a weird like pat on the back kind of thing, but I, I used to do this thing. I was a database guy and I did my database like stuff in like 10 minutes and it took everyone else like hours. And I would just tell my guys like, it'll just take us 10 minutes. But I did that because like I wanted to go home and I wanted them to go home and I wanted everyone to know that it took me 10 minutes because that's how long it took. So if anybody ever told them it took two hours, I wanted them to think really hard about why it takes them to 10 hours or two hours. Well, that's not under-promising and over-delivering, though. Like It's not. That's what I'm saying. You know what I mean? So I think that's the difference, though. Like, if they took you Yeah, that's right. That's for them. But I could have said, it takes me two hours, and then been like, I'm done. Watch me soar. Mm -hmm. But it's it's almost like like they tell you... uh, <laughs> Somebody uh, once told see, me. Hold on. Here, okay. Here's the difference, though. You're not over delivering. You're just under promising. I think that's the difference. So, like in this case, what I would say, and, and there's nothing wrong with this. You want us to do ten minutes and, and take ten minutes. That's totally fair. I'm not saying you have to. But I think what what I wouldn't have a problem, and, and that's different though, because you wanted to go home, right? I think that's a little bit different. But like, if, you, a, if a boss comes to you and says, "We have this problem at work." Mm-hmm. We need you to do something, and it's the morning, or and it's like I ha- I need a week to do it. You know, it's going to take you a day or two. Say I'll have it done by Friday. You know, like I mean, if if he, they said this is a big thing. Maybe other people are saying that'll take a month. It takes two weeks. I'll have it done by Friday, and then Thursday you're like, hey, I'm finished. By the way, I'm done, and that <laughs> gives you time to like do other things. I mean, this is also part of the thing. You with, know, with work is the urgent versus important stuff. Yeah, right. So everybody's always coming with urgent, urgent, urgent. You know, and there's urgent, there's important, there's important things you need to do, but it always gets pushed away, pushed aside because of the urgent stuff. This is a good example of how to manage some of those things. So if you have this urgent thing come through or important thing come through and you say, yeah, it's going to take me longer than it takes you. It takes you less time. They're happy because they got it sooner than what they thought. You're happy because you had time to do whatever other stuff you needed to do. And if you're freelancing, you make more money. Again, I think this is part of this too, is freelance where I shouldn't take a pay cut because I'm faster than someone who has less experience. Yeah. Know? And I think yeah. that's also that's different. This is different because that's, I, this is, you know, freelance versus hourly. There's or, more, there are moral hour. boundaries being crossed yeah. there, but it's like, it's, it's the nature of the way that cost structure works. Like, yeah. I'm In that case, you know, this is why people to make the argument, don't charge per hour, charge per. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> you know? their fault for so, charging you per hour right. and you but, taking advantage still, of it. But still, I mean, this is again, I think something it's like, not to say it's going to take me a month 
when it takes me a, a, a week and I, I turn it in two months. And again, not everybody can does it. I don't know. This is just my personal opinion. Under promise, yep. over deliver. It makes you look better, especially if you're talking about like South. Because here's the thing with like with with work, right? Limited number of promotions sometimes. Limited number of jobs. There's no reason to not try to get ahead. See, reality. that's the thing, though. That is that is because of the type of structure that you know. If you're in America, you're you are part of. Yeah. You are part of a system. Now you could get different types of incentives from your company. Like metrics basis, uh, you know, incentives where if the system has this few number of outages over the course of a year, uh, some people may may under report outages, yeah. you know, so like there are I think it's it's my thing is like, be honest. So I disagree in that sense that I think you should always be honest. But here's where here's where I think it like where I agree, where it like I think we tie together is that you should give yourself the time to do the work right yeah in the way you feel comfortable to a level you feel comfortable so what i mean by that is like to a, to a level of quality that you are comfortable with yeah. because at the end of the day the work is the reflection of you yeah. and if you know so how, where whether you say it's going to take me a week you do it in a day or whatever give yourself the time to do excellent work yeah and if if you want to tell them hey it's going to take, if you want to keep it in your head, it'd take me one day to do a shit job. It'd take me a week to do an awesome job. And then midway through, something terrible happens and you got to just do the shit job, mm-hmm. do it quick and sacrifice some of that. Well, now you've given yourself the opportunity yeah. to do well, that. Well, I think that's it, right? It's not about lying. It's not about being dishonest or tricking people. I think the underpromise over deliver is about buffers, it's about insurance. You know, to tell like in, in Jordy's case, again, use the example you gave. when you say an hour and it doesn't take you an hour, you're out of time. So if you give yourself a buffer, because you never know one, every job is going to be different. Some 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 tasks may take longer. Some tasks may take less time than what you thought, especially when you're estimating. And so there's no there's no problem giving yourself a buffer and giving you the, the option to potentially under under promise. Well, um, I think over deliver. I don't think you know what a, to do. You know what to. I think I think most people. I think human beings are terrible at knowing how long something's going to take. <laughs> this is true. It's always so in give general, percent at least. Or in general, you probably suck at it already. Yeah, and you're probably lying to yourself saying you're going to get it done in that ideal world where. They, I don't know. He asked me. To, he said two weeks. I guess I got to get it done in two. There's no way yeah. you're getting it done in two weeks. You ain't yeah. doing it. Yeah. Unless it's a task you've done a million times and you sure. have like a button you press to do it. I know yeah. you used to tell me you used to have this technique where like you could like press a button to do the whole thing and then and then you just be like, look, they they char- they're paying me for a week. I guess I just see just and, and, deliver and this is it different because I the thing with freelance though is like why should I make less money because I figured out how to make my job happen quicker. If you hired anybody else, <laughs> they would they would charge you more. They would do this, and it would take them that long. And if we figured out how to automate this thing and make it happen quicker, I shouldn't lose money because I got more efficient at it. So this is different. Freelance and charging clients is totally different than work for sure. And how? I do agree, like that little task, that simple thing, like maybe the thing you do all the time. Don't lie about that. You don't need to underpromise. But like, I think for stuff where you, there are a lot of unknowns. Buffers. Add a buffer. Even for freelance. When Amy and I used to do freelance, we used to do a website, e-commerce, all kinds of crap, right? We would do, you know, a a set fixed price, firm fixed price. We wouldn't do time and material because of the whole, you know, we don't want to charge less because we're better at it or faster. So we would do firm fixed price and we would always add, we knew how long it took because we did it, you know, multiple times. We had an average. Usually took us like something like, I don't know, in real time, 80 hours to do a website on average. And we just... Added 50%, 120 hours. And then multiply that by our hourly rate of 100 bucks. That's how much it costs to do a website. And some websites would take 70. Some websites would take 150. <laughs> but it averaged out. So, you know, and, and, and that's the thing, too. We'd always add a buffer of time. Like it, it takes us, I don't know, whatever. And then we would add another month or two or 50% time on there just in case. Because you never know. And then when we were done early, they were like, oh, my God, that was amazing. You finished early, <laughs> you know. And then they can't ask us for a discount because we said, oh, it's firm fixed price. It's not that per hour. <laughs> so 
So, you know, that's the kind of stuff where uh, I think it's a little different. Freelance is different from from a salary job. Yeah, it's it, well, it's, it's tough sometimes. I think it, there's an, there's definitely situations where you create an estimate for your team. The big the big boss says how long is it going to take, and you have to tell him. And if you get it done quicker, you're a hero. Mm-hmm. So in the in that sense, it's similar. And you can play that against other teams. Yeah. Hey, I know. You know what I have you know? seen? I, I I remember reading an article about this. I haven't seen this in, in real life, but I've read an article where there was a, a developer, and he actually, I think he got arrested for this, or it was some kind of criminal charge, or it was something he like ended up causing the company money because he was doing this on purpose. But he would write little bugs in the code and make it break. Yeah. So that he could then go and fix them. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think this was a freelancer, which is why he got in, she was a contractor, which is why he got in trouble because he was actually charging them money to fix it. And, you know, and it was kind of uh, like, a, like a racket or something there. Anyway, but he would write little bugs in the thing and break it and fix it. And then he was seen as the hero coming in to fix it. And then somebody finally figured out that this was an intentional thing that was meant to break. And he got in trouble for uh, fraudulent uh, invoicing or something. But anyway, that is <laughs> totally different, <laughs> by the way. It's totally different. So don't do that. But, uh, you know, in that case, he's breaking stuff to be seen as a hero. But I think there could be scenarios where you see things and you let them break so that you can come in and fix them later. You know, not like you caused the thing to break. I you know? think there is a incredibly thin line there. Like and and. Oh, I'm not like, saying to do that. I'm saying oh, okay, don't, don't do that. No, don't do yeah, that. Yeah, that's, yeah. To me, that's yeah. totally different from I, under-promising I, I, and over-delivering. I think the focus for people shouldn't be on estimation and trying to meet estimates and all this stuff. And maybe that's that's what I'm trying to, trying to emphasize here. Yeah. Don't focus on that. Instead, focus on meeting your own expectations of quality for your work. That everything you do has your stamp on it. Think of all the best things you own, the most well-designed things. Maybe they were more expensive than the other things. Maybe they took longer to make. But those are the things that the person who made them was actually gave it everything they had mm-hmm. and left no stern, stone unturned. And at the end of the day, it was something that had their imprint on it. And I, I, I try to live this way I do not like to tell people lies. If if I know, I'm uncertain. I'd like to tell them, if you want me to tell you something, I'm going to tell you something, but I have no faith in what I'm about to tell you. <laughs> because you're asking me, you're asking me to essentially to say something I don't know. And if you want me to do that, I'm happy to do that. But if you'd rather me work as hard as I can to ensure we get the best quality thing, then I can do that. What would you rather me do? Anyone without a psychotic twist in their brain would want the second thing. Well, I want you to actually do the thing well and do it right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, why do you need to know when it's done then? Well, because because I need to know when it's done. Yeah, it's like I when, gotta uh, tell my boss. <laughs> yeah. There was a dude on um you ever seen the movie Scrooged? Yes. Yeah. So he goes, uh watched he, tells, Christmas he tells oh it's a fantastic movie. He tells um his uh secretary, all right. He's like, uh, you have to stay. You have to work late. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, I got to send my kid to the doctor. He's a late. I can only send him once a year. He's like, you have to work late. Because if you can't work late, I can't work late. And if I can't work late, I can't work late. <laughs> really no reason, right? So, like, there's no reason a lot of times for uh, people to ask these things except that they themselves have no understanding of how to solve the problem. And so asking when it's going to be done gives them a sense of calm. Just like when you tell somebody it's going to take a week. If Honestly, you may scare people if you tell them it's going to take 1,000% faster to do something. Mm-hmm. Even as a freelancer, they may not, they may not hire you. Yeah, they're like, like, why well, you... is it so much faster than everybody else? You must be lying or you must yeah. be doing it poor quality. Yeah, right. And you could think about all the other people who are trying to get jobs as a freelancer. If you go way low on your estimate, well, all of a sudden, maybe they look like assholes. You know? Actually, this is something I know we're not talking about freelance, but I read an interesting thing once where um, when you're doing like RFPs and you're you're constantly winning, you win 100 percent of the RFPs, you're charging too little. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. If you win something like 80 percent of the time, you're you're just right, and if you're winning like 20 percent of the time, you're charging too much. And it's kind of like the same thing. Like I've I've actually t- 
talk to people who do who send out RFPs to get people to you know submit them uh, requests for proposal. And, uh, you know, they will specifically say we, we throw out the highest and the lowest every time. Mm. Like we never pick the highest and we never pick the lowest. So, you know, that that's they always look for because like, why are they charging so much and why are they charging so little? That's yeah, it's interesting. Huh? You know, you know, I didn't know that. That's really not everybody cool. does that, but that's somebody I, I, I talked to who did make those. That's really neat. But if you anyway, RFPs, take that in count. Now, I, like I, I am kind of reminded here, too, of that advice that I got back when I was working in restaurants and cooking and stuff. One of the owners for the restaurant I worked at gave me this advice. I think I've told you this before, but I'll say it again because I'm sure there are people who aren't listening. Oh, yeah. But, you know, there's no reason to ever give 110%. You only need to give 10% more than everybody else. (laughs) And (laughs) when you're talking about waiting tables, when you're talking about working in a kitchen, and it takes someone 20 minutes to chop a bag of onions, you don't need to chop it in five minutes, (laughs) right? You can chop it in, in 17 minutes and still... Be better than everybody else, even if you're a speed chopper. So I yeah. think that's something to to think about. Like in this case, in 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 work, you don't want to do anything half-ass, obviously. And and we talked about this last episode, but always striving for perfection. But I think when it's like little menial tasks, things that take a long time, you know, you. For my personal opinion, is if it's not expected to be done faster, I don't need to bust my ass and hurt myself, for lack of a better word to get that thing done as fast as possible if nobody expected it to be done that fast. You know, it's funny. I've been thinking about that, and I think that that mindset got me and stuck because I started to do that. I started to be like, well, I can already do this 100% faster than everyone else. I'm just going to do it 10% faster. Yeah. It's, it's and, certainly one of those things where it is a trick. It's a it's a sticky trap, I think. You're right. And I think I, and think, I think it applies for some stuff. I don't know that it applies for well, other he, types here's, of jobs. Here's why, here's why I kind of zap myself out of that mindset. I heard somebody say, run your own race. And when you run your own race, you train for yourself. You improve yourself. You don't compare yourself to others. You don't compare yourself to how they work, their work ethic, their levels of quality. You run your own race because the job you have today is not the job you're going to have forever. So if you compare yourself to the people you work with now and you want that job at that amazing company down the road, well, you're not going to be good enough because Mm -hmm. they work a thousand percent faster than the people you work with. Yeah, right. So you're limiting yourself. That's how I feel by comparing yourself to others and how they work. Now, in the restaurant industry... Yeah, I You're think just, it's different. I think it's, it could that be. It scenario, could be that different. Was perfect. I don't need to clean. I don't need to mop the floors a hundred times faster than anybody else. Maybe <laughs> not, know? unless you want to run different. your own restaurant, unless you want to start your own restaurant company, unless you want to literally like, if you want to be a boat in a sea with other boats, be a boat. Be the best yeah. boat. Be better than all the other boats. But what if you want to be a fucking rocket ship? Yeah. And you don't want to be I a boat it de- anymore. It definitely depends on the context. And I think it depends on the task. That's the thing. I think it depends on the task and the ask and who's asking. And, and it all depends on the context. Because I think there are certainly some things where, and this is my personal opinion, I've seen this. I've had this happen to me in my own work where, you know, I've had, and this, I think coming from advertising where it was like fast, 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 and then going to a large corporation where it was a million times slower. Yeah, and getting stuff done. I've what I've noticed too is like if I'm at a running at a certain speed, nobody else in the organization works that quickly, and I can get them something fast. But if I do, it's just going to sit in an email until they're ready to read it anyway. So mm. what was the point, right? And so it depends on the context, because if I'm at another team and they're fast, then it does matter how fast I get that thing done. What right? creates frustration? So, when you yeah. when you expect other people to be at your speed, right? And they're or it all creates frustration slow. for them if they're working at a slower speed, and I'm constantly like just like I'm, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. Give me something else. Give me something else. Right. So I, I think it all depends on the context, and I think that advice certainly applies in some instances. I think mopping floors, sweeping the floors, cleaning the stove, whatever in the kitchen, it's definitely different. And I think it's also a different environment when you go into that environment and you, you're you doing it faster than everybody else. You're seen as like a hot shot and people start to get pissed off because you're making them look bad. And that, that creates a lot of animosity and stuff. So I think it's all about the context and the team that you're on and knowing when you can go faster and when you should well, just 
go with the flow of everybody else. Well, why? What's preventing you from teaching other people how you do it in five minutes? And that's maybe that's the that's the maybe that's the well, concept. That's the thing. We're not it all depends about. on the context. Like sometimes it maybe might it's always a good to idea. Them, you know, to help. Maybe, but I, sometimes it might not even matter in the long run. Like See, if I, I teach them how to do it in five minutes, does it really affect the outcome? It doesn't long-term? affect you, but it it could affect them. It could affect the way they're seen. It could affect the organization. I'm just thinking about like maybe a programmer is the best programmer in the world, but he never teaches anybody how to do anything. He I just think it sits all around it's being faster. Again, everybody. it's like just like a UX thing. I guess it all depends. Like it depends on the context. Like sometimes it might be beneficial for the team to learn that thing, and then sometimes well, it might not be. So it, for it all depends. I mean, I don't disagree with you by any means. Think but. about times when it isn't beneficial to help your team, members of your team grow in an area where you're strong given a context you're in like maybe that maybe there are contexts i can't think of one right now but maybe I mean, there I are um because because but, i think i think i think it is a fundamental principle that people should be following is that if i'm great that means that my team needs to grow my team needs to get better and it is my responsibility to work with them to ensure that they rise, like all ships rise. Yeah, you could wait for your manager to do it, but maybe your manager's not any good. Mm-hmm. And maybe yeah. this shows that you need to be the manager. I mean, I, help, we're, we're, we're generalizing and we're speaking <laughs> and, 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 and I don't know. We're, we're just making a lot of like, like, I can't think of a thing that would take me five minutes to do, to be perfectly honest, like in UX. Maybe no, like no, updating not. a wireframe or something. But in, the, in in that case, it isn't something that needs to be done in five minutes. It's like, hey, can you update that thing for tomorrow? It might take me five minutes to do, but I'll say, oh, I'll have that for you tomorrow. Because if I got it to you in 10 minutes, you wouldn't do anything with it anyway, right? Yeah. So I, I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not, I, I don't think know. five sure minutes in, like, is in just In database the, terms, the... there's probably like a lot of like random things you could do to just, you know, quickly do a thing. But in UX, I, I can't really think of anything. But I think you're right. In general, it is it is <laughs> always a good idea to get your team to be, to, to bring them up, we all rise together, right? But I don't know. I, I, I just, I guess my point was I wouldn't be so absolutist in that and say I will always do that because there are scenarios where it just doesn't matter sometimes. Maybe not all the time. Maybe not even a lot of the time. I don't know about that. I think it always does. And I think that that's where it's yeah, like, it's just diff- a spectrum of how much it matters, you know? Yeah. Like, because it always matters a little. Either the person that you're helping because they see their like the the manager or whatever thinks they're the worst mopper in the world or whatever, and they're gonna get fired because they mop like shit. And you teach them like, no, dude, all you gotta do is like, screw this way, you know, this way. I just way. had a thought, Derek. It isn't the time for me. It's not the time. It's the quality. So like for me, I don't care if you can mop the floor in five minutes. What I care about is how good the floor was mopped in whatever amount of time it took. And there's some like ratio there, like the amount of time that one takes to do a thing. There should be some level of quality related to that. You know, longer time, in theory, higher quality, shorter time, lower quality. Mm. You know, similar to what you talked about before. You got a day to do it or I got a week to do it. And I think for me, the what I would want people to rise is not the time. It's the quality of what you're doing. And if it takes you a week to do, fine. If it takes you two months to do, fine. But at the end, there should be some quality. And for me, what I care about more would be the quality over the time. I guess this is, again, where I'm, I'm thinking like under promise over deliver. It's like... The amount of time it takes is, to me, less relevant. If I'm gonna, if it takes me five minutes, I don't care. I've been doing this for you know almost twenty years. I don't expect a junior to do it in five minutes. If they say if it takes them longer, then it takes them longer. But I, I would work with them on the quality and not try to make them do it faster. I think that might maybe that's just that's like a, that's a good distinction. Like so like if you're gonna if you're gonna help someone, help them improve the quality of the work they do, regardless of how fast they're typing or how right. fast their brain works, that's a really good point. So anyway, I think our listeners got a lot to chew on. <laughs> and and it, well, I love this. This is a very conver- philosophical episode, Derek. Well, I love this conversation <laughs> because we weren't in complete agreement, you know? And a lot of times when we talk about stuff, we're, we're like kind of echoing our the same point back to each other. But this was a little bit of like, you know, I don't agree with that. Oh, well, yeah. this is the way I see it. I see it this way. And I yeah. like that. I was enjoying talking to you. This is um, the most yeah. philosophical. But this one was the one where we needed a couple beers, Derek. We didn't have any beer today. I know. <laughs> we should we should do a a follow up starting with beers. 
okay. like half half drunk, and then we yeah. get all the way drunk, right. and then we're screaming at each other, <laughs> "You fucking fascist!" You know, and that's that's how that's how I want it to go. I love um, it. Um, I'd never call you. It's the last episode. It. It's like the one where it's like, <laughs> "Screw it, this is over." <laughs> like Mike's breaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're just like flying. Um, so anyway, um, this is good. This is like one of the. This may be the most philosophical episode we ever had, Derek. I dig it. Yeah. Um, yeah all yeah. right. Well, that's cool. Well, uh, Derek, go hang out with Remy. You guys go do your thing. Everybody out there, make sure you check us out on RetroTimePodcast.com. If you like this philosophical episode, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Give us a holler. Get some stickers, RetroTimePodcast.com slash stickers. And Derek, at some point, I keep saying this, we're going to go to your house and record some it's jams. Coming. We have got a backlog of jams, some review jams. Ha- check out I, all those other- I clean my studio, other... so- yeah, well, one day. Check out all those other <laughs> reviews at RetroTimePodcast.com slash reviews. Leave a five-star review. You get in our backlog. Get your own jam. Jam and jam. And until next time, we'll see ya. See ya. That should that would have been a good point, though. I didn't think, like, if you're in a job, there's nothing wrong with just getting a paycheck, honestly. Like, every everything that you do, I wish we would have said that. Because, like, every every job you have does not have to be the best thing you've ever done. Sometimes it's totally cool to just get a paycheck. There's not like there's nothing wrong with that. If that's what you want to do and that's where you're at and right now in your life, whatever, you got other shit to deal with. Just accept I mean deal with it, you know? And eventually if you get sick of that, then find a job where you're respected, but I don't think there's anything wrong with just getting a paycheck, honestly. I mean, if that's where you're at, that's where you're at, but all right, I'm going to throw you know, a ching in I'm there, and this is going to be at the end of the episode. It's going to be at the episode. Jeremy's Jeremy's musings. Uh, whatever. Um, all right, dude. All Take right, it dude. Easy, always man. good talking to you. Take it yeah, easy, I'll man. I'll send you this thing in a little bit. And, uh, all right, appreciate you, brother. All right, man. See you, dude. Bye. You know what? No, I've never seen. Next time. Have you ever seen this before? A pho shop called What the Pho? Um, no, but down in New Orleans, uh, my favorite Vietnamese place, Tan Din, had a shirt. And they had shirts that said "Wanna Fa." Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. So All right, that's yeah. good enough. That's good so I feel enough. Like that's a, I feel like that's something a lot of Vietnamese restaurants have figured out. <laughs> they can, they can, uh, they can run with that that play. It's a good play. You fucking fascist!